Welcome to Pitch Deck, the podcast where startup founders pitch their business to investor angels or established mentors. We provide constructive feedback on both the business and the pitch itself. I'm your host, Nick Telson, and let's jump straight into the pitch studio and meet today's guests. So today I have alongside me as my guest angel, Veronica Capistina, who is an early stage investor and advisor who started her journey working on capital raising for late stage tech companies such as Uber, Airbnb and Netflix in London, and then later went over to California. After moving to the West Coast, she became a mentor to seed stage founders and quickly realized that her passion lay in angel investing. After building a high-performing portfolio, Veronica has now become a founder herself, currently setting up a venture fund that is focused on investing in seed stage founders who come from a social science background. So Veronica, delighted to have you on the show today. Nick, thank you very much for having me. It's wonderful to be here. Brilliant. So before we dive into the pitch studio, I'm just going to ask you a couple of questions. The first one that came to mind about the venture fund, which I found very interesting, and I don't know if I'm alone in this. So social science, quite a broad space. Um, what does what does that actually mean? And what type of companies are you talking about in, in social science space? Absolutely. It's a great question. Really, it comes down to the way people think, right? So um, it's it comes down to diversity of thinking and the understanding of human incentives. So individuals who think in terms of systems, new categories, who are not afraid of new markets or matching up of markets, and who, frankly, are just unafraid to shape the future in a new way. I know that's very broad and doesn't quite answer, answer the question, but uh, the reason that we decided to focus on this is because we think that's what's coming next in tech, and that's a missing element in big tech at the moment, as we can see from the headlines. So understanding of what uh, human-first tech really means. And what types of companies out there at the moment that listeners may know do you consider to be in this space? Oh, it's um, all kinds of companies, you know, fintech, e-commerce, um, B2C, B2B companies. Some great examples include um, uh, companies that basically create a great offering for a consumer um, and offer it at a discount to established players with basically responsibility at the core. One example, uh, Bulb Energy, for example, in, in the UK, founded by an LSE alum. And another example, uh, one that many listeners, I think, will know, Allbirds in the US, you know, founded by uh, another actually LSE alum, Tim Brown. So uh, very exciting companies focused on a sustainable offering delivered direct to consumer. And in, in their own way, they're each creating a very different future, one in which we can recycle our shoes and another in which we are renewable energy is actually cheaper to use at home than uh, established energy. Yeah, big fan of both companies. I'm a bold customer as well and absolutely love just the, the UX and UI as well as the sustainable element is, is a breath of fresh air. And then you also mentioned in the early stage of your career, you were uh, doing sort of late stage capital raising. Where, where do you think the market is with that now? With obviously you had the sort of the Casper IPO sort of burst and Uber and WeWork. From what you see, do you think there's a shift in these uh, sky high valuations for companies that you know actually aren't looking to get to profit? Or do you, know, do you see much of the same or do you see the bubbles bursting? 
It's an excellent question. It's a very difficult one to answer. I would say that the shift started happening when big public market investors, such as BlackRock, Fidelity, started doing investing um, basically in the la- later rounds of some of these big tech corporates. And bas- uh, with the check sizes that they came in with, it permitted them to stay private for longer. Part That was one of the reasons. The other was obviously the profitability question and predictability of revenue. Uh, where we're heading is is difficult to say. COVID obviously threw a huge spanner in the works and everything that's happened uh, since then. Effectively, though, I think public markets aren't getting restructured anytime soon. There are great initiatives like uh, the Long-Term Stock Exchange, the start, uh, which was set up by Eric Rice, of the, um, which I'm sure many listeners are also familiar with. But um, despite some of these initiatives, I think that we're, we're pretty much still stuck with the with the old model of public markets. I don't think we're I think I don't think reform is um, on the way yet. And Despite the fact that people have been talking about a valuation correction and a burst um, in the technology bubble for quite some time, uh, there is still capital that is willing to take these companies to to the valuations which they're at. Otherwise, we wouldn't be in the situation that we're in. So, um, and that capital comes from an increasingly diverse range of sources. So, it's, it's difficult to say when that correction will really come. Yeah, I think all really good points there. And you obviously see a lot of pitch decks and you you work closely with founders as well. What do you either advise them or when you see pitch decks, what's one thing that you really like to see in a pitch deck? And what's one thing you dislike to see in a pitch deck? Uh, Excellent question. So uh, clarity and conciseness. I think I like to see if you're presenting numbers, uh, a lot of focus for why you're putting the numbers that you're putting on the page. If you're presenting uh, an idea, you know, uh, you need to be very clear about exactly what your USP is and why uh, you're going to win in the market that you're targeting. But I think the, and the, the most, I guess, the worst thing that I've seen in pitches is getting to the fifth or sixth slide and still not really knowing what the company does. Um, I'd like to know by the first or second slide, otherwise I lose interest very quickly. And I lose faith in the ability of the entrepreneur to sell their idea, not just to, to me, the investor, but to their target consumers or businesses. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And a, a lot of the guest angels I've had on have, have definitely said conciseness. And I think that's one thing I hope our listeners have taken on board. But I totally agree with you. Clarity that sometimes gets missed as well. Um, I, I totally agree that if I, if I don't know what I'm looking at within the first few slides, then I'm on to the next one, basically. So I think, yeah, clarity and conciseness are both uh, excellent points there. Um, So without further ado, let's head on into the pitch studio to meet today's founder, who is Marie from an app called Mini Meal Times. So welcome to Pitch Deck, Marie. Hello. Hi. Thank you for having me. Delighted to have you. So the floor is now yours. So for anyone that doesn't know, I am Marie Farmer and I'm the founder of Mini Meal Times, a family nutrition app that works like a dietitian in parents' pockets to make meal times easier. So I had the idea for the app a couple of years ago when I was walking through the shops. I was with my son and I was trying to figure out what I was going to buy for him and, and make him that week. I was just so confused by all of the marketing labels and the nutrition labels on the the packaging. And I thought, okay, what is this healthy for my son? And I spent a lot of hours Googling and getting quite 
confusing information and talking to my doctor. Um, and he was also going through a health scare. So we were having to monitor his nutrition really carefully. And I was tasked with creating a food diary in a notebook and I was having to manually write everything down. And I thought, this is ridiculous. It's, it's 2017, you know, <laughs> there must be a better way for this. So I, I just started, my brain started turning and I, I started to think, you know, how, what can I create that's going to help me? And I came upon the idea for me, Mealtime, so a, an app that helps me track what he's eating and then gives me instant feedback that's personalized to him. And there wasn't a service like that. We hired a dietitian to do that for us, but it was incredibly expensive. And I started talking to my friends and they were all saying, yes, I would I would love something like that. That would be amazing, but it's, it doesn't exist. So I started researching the idea, talking to lots of doctors, clinicians, various dietitians, nutritionists, and parents to figure out if, one, this is something that we could actually do and two if it was something that would be interesting and be useful to anyone else I conceded that it, it was a great idea best idea ever <laughs> and um so that's what we did it took me a while to kind of get it together because I was also trying to wrangle motherhood at the same time I still am but uh, I'm really proud with what we've done in the last couple of years we joined the Bethnal Green Accelerator last year and we got some seed funding from them and uh, family and friends to create the first version of the app and the way the app works is parents log or scan a barcode of what their children are eating and then the app create a personalized report based on their child's profile that will tell the parents in very simple language, basically uh, what the recommendations state their child should be eating and comparing it with what they're actually consuming. And it gives parents a better idea about their children's overall nutritional health um, and then the steps that they can take if they need to be changing certain things. And our goal is to basically just make nutrition less confusing, make it less intimidating and make mealtimes easier for parents. We launched it at the beginning of this year and we have got a really good response from parents. We've had a really, we've got a couple of um, quite interesting articles in the press um, and our, our users are really sticky and they're finding it really useful and they're giving you amazing feedback. So I'm really, really excited about what we're going to be doing in the next couple of years. Perfect. Thank you very much for that. Um, so before I bring Veronica in to, to dig a bit deeper with myself, um, I just want to ask you a couple of um, quick sort of more general questions. So the first one being, obviously, you're, you you are were a mother at, at the time of coming up with the idea. What gave you the confidence? Um, I think a lot of founders would be listening that you have the idea. What gives you the confidence that this is you know, going to be your career, you're going to put everything into this and being a mother as well. You know, what was that moment for you when you thought, yeah, this, this is a goer? I have no concept of failure, <laughs> if I'm going to be honest. Um, you know, that doesn't mean I, I think I'm infallible at all, but I'm not scared of new situations. I get really excited by trying new things. And so when I had this idea, I just instantly just became really passionate and excited about something. And in my old jobs, I'm always known as a hard worker and someone who kind of gives her all to it. But I never felt the passion that I do for this idea. I was never excited about waking up in the morning and, and working on something. And if it was going wrong, I was just kind of like, okay, well, you know, what can we do next? You know, what's going to be the next job I can do? Whereas with this, I just think we're going to figure it out. And I just, yeah, I just have this zest every single morning. What um, what were you doing before 
as a career? I was working in project management in the advertising industry and the public relations industry, which I did love and I found really interesting, but it just wasn't my passion. And I didn't know what my passion was until I discovered it. Perfect. Yeah, I think that's an important point is um, a very good founder often is if they're doing something they're focused on, which, you know, brings them joy and passion, then you put that extra 20% in, which invariably leads to success, hopefully. It also is great because it gives me something that I I can build that I'm in charge of. And I feel like I'm actually helping people and I'm also making my son proud. Yeah, I mean, that's a lovely incentive to do as well, isn't there? Something to show your son as well, so extra incentive. Yeah. So yeah, so let's move into some questioning. I'm sure Veronica's going to have lots of deeper questions about the business itself. So Veronica, um, over to you, and I'll jump in when I've got a question. Thank you, Nick. Marie, it's lovely to meet you. I'm, well, first of all, congratulations on a brilliant business idea and so much progress on something that's very difficult to execute. So congrats for getting this far. Um, the first question that I have really is on your team, do you have any specialists in child nutrition or when you say that you're offering personalized advice, who, who guarantees that it's the efficacy or perhaps which data sets do you train your recommendation engine on that, that ensures that you're recommending the right things, which I I think every parent is going to be concerned around uh, what, what, what the recommendation engine is based on. Yes, that's an excellent question. And that was something that I spent a long time researching and trying to figure out. On the team, we have two amazing dietitians who are extremely well respected in their fields. Um, we have Sophie Medlin, who is who I've been working with since last year, who helps me uh, look at all of the data sets and the recommendations that are within the app. And then we also have Chloe Elliott, and they work together to make sure that anything in the app is as up-to-date and accurate as possible. Um, so having experts in the team um, in the field of nutrition is so incredibly important to me. And I always said, if they don't give me the sign off. We don't do the app. It's a brilliant way to approach it, um, and absolutely the right way to do it. In terms of the, the revenue model, how um, is the app free to use? Do you do you have to pay to use it? Um, how do you, how do you approach that piece of it? So the core functionality of the app, the main feature, which is the product scanning and, and the reports, um, is free. So it's a free app, and our mission is that it will always be free. It's really important to me because we want to make nutrition accessible to everyone. But the revenue model, which we'll start implementing early next year, will be a freemium version. So the main features of the app will be free, but then we'll have slightly more in-depth nutrition reports, and we'll also be offering consultations, video consultations that parents can then pay so they'll have like one-on-one consultations within the app where dietitians like Sophie and a few other people will be able to explain the reports in even more in-depth than they can get now and the incentive for parents will be if they use the app for a certain amount of time they'll get that product for less money so they'll have a, a significant discount on the service Um, and so we're hoping it will encourage parents to you know use the app more and and see how useful it can be for them. Brilliant and um, in terms of the way that you so currently how are you how many users are um, how many users do you have how many active users do you have? So we have about 400 plus active users and they're using it. Is that monthly or weekly? I'm sorry is that monthly or weekly? Uh, So it's averaged out over a month, um, but most of our users are using it at least on a weekly basis. We get a lot of parents doing bulk ads, bulk adding, so they won't 
you know, log in four times a day and log every single meal. Some of them do. I'm one of those parents because I'm, <laughs> I have a nutrition app, so you can tell I like tracking every little thing. Um, but a lot of parents will, you know, log in on a Sunday and add everything that they've had for the week so they can get the general guidance and look at the reports. And I think, I think that's because one, you know, parents are really busy, but two, they want an overview because anyone with kids knows that kids' eating habits change on seemingly on an hourly basis sometimes. So they'll have a couple of days where they'll eat perfectly and other days not so much. And so I always advise parents to use it for at least one week so that we can get a general guidance of their overall nutrition habits. Right. That's, and and how do you, do you get, is there a referral scheme in place or how do you get parents to get the word out? Because it's such a useful tool. You know, how, how do you get more people? Um, have you had to pay for customer acquisition so far with any advertising or are you, is it just word of mouth? Um, so that's something we're working on now um, and we haven't cracked it totally. I was really focused on getting early user feedback and, and making sure they like the app and they find it useful. Uh, we haven't spend any money on advertising so technically our acquisition costs are zero <laughs> but obviously that's not super realistic but we're so early stage that it's hard to get a specific number but we will be introducing a referral scheme soon and we're also going to start implementing ads in the next couple of weeks I have uh, I'm really lucky I had a, a social media come on board, a social media team who are coming on board who are basically going to be working for free. And I got them through um, the Princess Trust, uh, which is an organization that I, I kind of work with. And they are lending their hours and expertise to the project, which I'm really excited about. Fantastic. What's the, the sort of moat around this business? So that I'm guessing the scanning tech is sort of widely available. I think I, I use that in the MyFitnessPal app that you can track what you're eating. So what, what do you see as your true moat around, you know, someone being able to, to copy this idea pretty quickly? I think our, our moat is the report and the data and the algorithm that's in the back end that generates those reports. You know, as you said, scanning functionality, searching for a product, how many other apps are, are doing that? But what makes mini meal times really unique and special and useful are those personalized reports that are specific to the children. You know, I think a fact that a lot of people don't realize is that most um, nutrition labels that are generated for products are calculated for the average adult male. So for children and teenagers, that barcode information is not very helpful. It's helpful in terms of getting some ingredients so they, you know, they don't have anything that they might be allergic to. But in terms of nutritional value, those products and those labels are not calculated for children's constant changing nutritional needs. And they change every year pretty much. And so that's what our app does. And that's where we we're adding the value and where we're really unique. And it was quite complicated to get all those data points and have it generated every single time reliably. But yeah, we've done it. So that's our moat. And in terms of advice that you, you're, you're giving to the parents, is this advice that's benchmarked on what, I don't have children, so is this benchmarked on what a two-year-old should be eating or can they dig a bit deeper about their child that, you know, he or she weighs X, they're this tall, they have an, uh, a peanut allergy and then the reports are based on that? That's why we're trying to do something unique. So it isn't generic advice. It is the nutrition recommendations will be specific 
to their child. So when they download the app, um, we ask them to tell us, you know, their child's height and weight and, and gender. So we've got those data points that we can compare to our database. Um, so it isn't just generic, oh, you know, your kids should be eating less sugar and, you know, fruits and vegetables, which is like, you can get that anywhere. It's specific to the child. And then the more the parent uses it, the more intuitive the app becomes. Um, and we can start seeing interesting trends about their eating habits and kind of what they like and what they dislike. Currently, we don't have anything to do with allergies or any kind of specific dietary habits. So, if, you know, if the family is restricted based on their religion or if they're vegetarian, we don't have that functionality built in, but that is something that we are planning to do in the next three to six months. One thing I want to just clarify on that point. So the app is actually basically uh, the app learns more and more about uh, about the individual child and becomes smarter with its recommendations. Is that correct? Is that what happens or is it more based on the updated data that parents put in in terms of, you know, gained this much weight or have has grown this much in the last few months? You know, how does the just trying to get at the underlying mechanics just a little bit more in terms of how personalized it becomes and how's, you know, how long it takes the app to get to know the individual um, kid in question. So it's a bit of both. You know, I'm not going to pretend it's like this super slick AI app yet. That's kind of our plan for the next year or so. But the more the parent uses it, the more data we have to compare and to show the information to parents. And we're currently working on making the specific advice that will update as the app starts to get to know the child more. Got it. And um, in terms of the competitive mode, just to follow up on Nick's question, what's stopping a MyFitnessPal, for example, um, coming in and creating a, uh, you know, a, a, basically a side-along product to their main product and launching a kids-focused MyFitnessPal? Like, what do you think will protect you if that kind of thing arises? I think the t- our team is fantastic. I do think that particularly our dietitians, we've built this algorithm and all the data sets together and I just think we've done such an incredible job. And so I think it would be very complicated. They would have to spend a lot of money and a lot of time to try and recreate what we're doing. We're also unique in that we've got, they've got me (laughs) as the, the vision of the product and someone who is like really, really passionate about what we're doing and has all these ideas about how we can improve upon it and how we can listen to our users. Um, So we've got, you know, kind of a hard, not impossible, I'm not going to pretend it's completely impossible to to replicate, but I think it would be tricky to replicate. And yeah, we're, we're slowly building our brand so that our customers will be loyal to us and uh, making the app as useful and enjoyable for parents to use. I, for one, and I think a lot of people will agree, if you have the choice between two apps who maybe have slightly similar offerings, you're going to go for the one that you have, you feel brand loyalty to, the one that you like, um, and the one that's easiest to use. And uh, yeah, so that's kind of what our mode is. It's a mix of technology and brand. And do and to dig on the uh, the revenue that Veronica was talking about earlier, do you? You know, have you got any evidence um, that parents are willing to pay for these deeper reports or the one-on-one with a dietitian? Like, how scalable is is that offering? Is, is are you set in stone that that is how you're going to make revenue? Or and if yes, do you have any proof of that yet? And if not, do you have any other ideas how you can generate revenue from the product? 
Yeah. Well, I always try to say nothing's ever set in stone because you, you can't see the future, can you? Um, the reason why we're, we're doing it the way we're doing it is because, one, parents are much more likely to use a subscription service, particularly women. Um, so we were looking at the marketing data and how the shopping habits of parents. And then we also did surveys with our early users about how much they would pay for the app and why they would use it and why they would pay for it or why they wouldn't and what we could do to kind of push them over the line. So we based all of that on the revenue model. We initially were going to have a, a freemium version straight away, but we launched just after lockdown happened. I made the decision to pause that um, so we can be considerate of financial issues that anyone might have. So we decided to pause that so the app would be completely free for everyone. We haven't rolled out the paid for models as of yet, but I'm confident that will be the best solution for us because we're doing the service with Sophie, who has her own private consultation service where she does consultations with parents and they have been absolutely inundated with bookings and they have all been asking are you offering a cheaper service that's a little bit more affordable to other people that maybe can't afford it um, or just looking at their budget and trying to figure out ways of cutting it down and she's been completely booked off her feet so I'm very confident that uh, it will be the way to go. Just a quick question on on the loyalty, on the brand loyalty piece. I, so in addition to some of these features that Nick was um, talking about in terms of the reports, have you thought about features that potentially can simplify parents' day-to-day? So if your child, for example, you know, hates chicken and but loves, um, I don't know what child would do what would, what this would be, but loves uh, broccoli and greens and you know, maybe specific meal plans or, you know, is there, could there be, a, could there be follow-on features that creates further customer engagement? So um, not just the nutritional reports, but also something that helps them with their weekly shopping or their weekly planning. Yes, I'm so glad that uh, you're thinking in the same lines that I am. Um, so in the app, we have a boatload of recipes that parents can use. And one of our most popular features in the app, actually, other than the nutrition reports, is the one-click ad recipe. So they add it, they you know search for whatever recipe they like, so let's just say meatballs, and it gets added automatically to the food diary and to the nutrition reports. And parents really love that because they're really busy. And we are thinking about building in functionality where parents have the option of buying those ingredients so maybe they don't have them being able to buy them within the app we can kind of signpost them to you know different online stores um, or where they can get the ingredients to make it and you know I like that you picked up on the fact that kids don't always like what you give them or you know you maybe need to swap out a specific ingredient so that is something that parents can do now within the app but we also want to potentially collaborate with different brands and being able to show them different offerings because the other thing is you know we're trying to you know create a healthier world right you know we we want parents to give their kids healthy options if they can but also within you know in moderation um so at the moment whatever a parent logs we just give them the facts but we would like to start introducing options where parents can see maybe healthier alternatives or just different alternatives. So if they don't like chicken, there could be a vegetarian option. There could be some lamb. There could be, uh, you know, the options are uh, unlimited that we can sign them, post them to. But that's, it's not set in stone. We're still kind of working out exactly how we're going to do it. Got it. From a uh, growth marketing point of view, so, you know, this is essentially a B2C at play to get a mainstream, high downloaded app. You know, a lot of time requires a lot of cash. Do you have, 
yourself sort of growth marketing digital growth um, expertise or is this part of what the raise is for and if it's part of what the raise is for have you identified any people that you would you know bring in for digital marketing expertise yeah, so I so my background is in um, project management in the advertising world, but I do want to bring in someone like that. But we haven't zeroed in on a specific person. So if anyone has any recommendations or wants to come aboard and, and join the Mini Mail Times team, then please get in touch. You know, I'm always open to hearing people's suggestions and listening to people who are passionate about what we're doing and, and joining it. Um, everyone that's worked on the project kind of came on board because they were passionate about the idea and they believed in my vision for the app. So yes, if anyone is interested, please uh, contact me because I, I, you know, networking is key in that industry. We are currently um, trying to raise capital so that we can grow uh, because as you said, it is an expensive process and I don't envision we're going to get to a million downloads with a a 0.0 custom acquisition rate, but uh, you know, maybe we will. And what are you raising in this round and at what pre-money valuation? So we are looking to raise about 500000 at the moment. And we have just under half kind of confirmed with, with a number of smaller funds and angels. Uh, so we're looking for the rest of it. And we're going to spend most of that on, like you said, marketing costs and also just more um, research to make the app as intuitive as possible, basically. Do you have a agreed pre-money valuation? The last valuation that I got, and then I'm basing this on my um, accelerator valuation, which was a 666, so 666,000. And initially I was a bit like, okay, yeah, I'm going to, yeah, I'm just going to go with that. And it's also my lucky number because for anyone that knows my phone number, I also have 666 in my phone number. So uh, I think it's a lucky valuation. Also the devil's number, isn't it? <laughs> No, it's a lucky valuation. I was waiting for someone to mention that. Yeah. Yeah. Is this going to come out on Halloween? And Veronica, have you got any other questions for Marie? I think the I think the last the, the last question really is um, you know we spoken we talked about it a little bit and you said at the moment everything is word of mouth and you know I think Nikki also touched on this sort of growth marketing um, and you currently don't have a strategy but I, ideally do you see this being something that you can also deliver not just through direct kind of direct to consumer marketing or advertised uh, marketing spend or would you also consider going through partnerships so perhaps speaking to schools or speaking to local councils where they can recommend this app for parents as a way to help their kids nutrition oh yes we yeah we have thought about that i hadn't mentioned it because nothing's um, been finalized but um i am in talks with two schools and a large council in london about doing seminars on the app and early nutrition and that sort of thing where we'd be promoting the app um so that is in the works and there's also a uk fund who specifically invest in healthy food brands uh, i'm not sure if i'm allowed to mention the specific name because nothing's in the works but yeah there's a there's a there's a healthy uh, fund that invests in healthy food brands and we're in talks to promote their products as al- healthy alternatives within the app so yeah definitely definitely thinking about that and the social media marketing team that i mentioned earlier they have donated their time to kind of help me come up with a user strategy um, and they're doing that for free just because they they love the app and they they believe in the vision um, so I, I think we're going to start seeing some 
interesting insights from that and um, in the next couple of months. Perfect. So thank you so much for joining us, Marie. Veronica and myself are going to head out the pitch studio and discuss the opportunity. But thanks very much for pitching. Thank you so much. Um, It's been lovely to be here to both of you. So Veronica, it's just you and me outside the pitch studio now. Um, so yeah, I'll let you kick off. What do, what do you make of the opportunity? I think it's a very interesting idea, um, really great idea, which uh, solves a real pain point for many people, for you know, a very specific category of people, parents. Uh, that's very many of us. And what I would say is, um, you know, it's an idea which is also very timely, given the looming health crisis we have, specifically with children, which a lot of health issues do start in childhood, as, as Marie mentioned. I think overall, though, um, a few of the concerns that I have, which I think she will figure out as the fundraising goes along and as um, she progresses through through the growth stages of the business, is scale and defensibility. So it's it's a very exciting opportunity. I think it's just about getting to the to the customers fast enough, and then and then defending her position. As I mentioned on our um, in our Q and A, if someone like my fitness pal decides to throw um, some some capital behind this, you know, I'm concerned that they might have a wider reach sooner. But yeah, having said that, at the end of the day, it is all about execution and, and passion and drive and, and the vision. And Marie has a wonderful vision here. I, I totally agree with that. Um, you know, she came across very confident, which I like. Obviously, a parent, so knows the pain point, which is, is what it came out of. Totally agree with you, scale and defensibility. You know, I think if if we also probably, when we finish this podcast, have a look at competitors, I imagine there's probably quite a few out there where you can log nutrition. So Marie's right, actually, that it has to be her brand that really resonates. And a concern for me would be around the marketing side of it. I think, you know, we, we always look at team and she's obviously got the science side of it nailed down but she's going to need some real expertise in sort of growth hacking, social media expertise. And as you said, you know, partnerships with clear vision to, to get to parents. Um, parents in a weird sort of way can be quite a nice group to target. You know, there's lots of Facebook groups for parents um, and forums for parents. So if you can sort of weasel your way into those, um, you can sort of access them pretty quickly. I was concerned about the revenue model and obviously it's very early stage but obviously no sort of signs that people would be willing to pay for deeper reports. And it's for me, it sounded a bit wishy-washy. What, what was your take on that? So I was also concerned. I do hope that the reason that, well, I hope that she thinks about a couple of things. First of all, um, actually charging for, for the app because um, this kind of personalized or, or specific features, because this kind of personalized attention to kids is something that I think parents would be willing to allocate budget for. And then she could also create, um, you know, a Robin Hood charging model where uh, certain parents get promotional codes where they can access the app for free if it's absolutely something that they really struggle with uh, making payments towards. Uh, what I would say is, um, yeah, I, I agree with, with, the, with the way you categorize it. It's it's very much underdeveloped. And the real risk for me here is, um, is the fact that it's prone to be taken over by partnerships which have a lot of self-interest. So partnerships which want to promote their own food brands or partnerships that want to take over and advertise certain things to the parents um, you know, for their kids. That worries me because uh, as you know, as we've, as we've seen with recent documentaries on Netflix, that doesn't all end with the data more widely. Those kind of 
corporations and entities don't always have the best the consumer's interest at heart. So um, it's it's in her interest to figure out the revenue model as soon as possible, so that uh, she's not beholden to um, to third parties who might have a different set of uh, stakeholder interests. Yeah, totally agree with you. I actually wrote down charge for app. Um, so, <laughs> you know, I, I feel that, it, you know, it sounds like it's got enough in it to even to start with a throwaway, you know, sort of two ninety nine a month, you know, get your, your free week first to get to grips with it. And then a sort of a throwaway price that people are willing to pay. And then obviously, you know, maybe an extra pound or two pounds to actually download the reports or or whatever. I'm not 100% sure I agree with the one-to-one sessions with dietitians. I feel like that that's a whole nother business they could maybe spring into. But sort of video conferencing with a marketplace of dietitians feels like a big next step and, and one that is quite difficult to scale. I completely agree. I would say that it, it edges on feature creep, as it were. So just too many, trying to do too many things at the same time. It's very, the most important thing, at, at, I think, at this early stage is to execute really well on one or two key offerings, nail them, do them do them really well. In, her, in this case, specifically, because you're dealing with children, making sure you throw all your resources at what you're building. So from the scientific point of view, she does have some great people on her team, but really making sure that you know all the up-to-date databases are, are there and that her algorithm is as intelligent as it can be in terms of how she's designing those customized uh, in-app recommendations. And as long as she, you know, that execution in itself will be very hard, will be hard enough. You know, as Marie said herself, you know, it's, it's, uh, it has the beginnings out there. It needs to be developed further. But I think uh, trying to do too much at the same time is, is always a recipe for, um, for poor execution. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And then finally, very quickly, if we touch on the raise itself, um, she was obviously, understandably, it's public being cagey about what the pre-money is now, her previous raise being at, at the accelerator £666,000. So, you know, I, I don't want to second guess what it is, but I can't imagine it's it's way more than one, 1. 1.2, which if I think if I was advising or mentoring her at the moment, I would probably just say close you know, at that low valuation, I don't know how much of the business she wants to give away, but probably raise 150, 200 at this stage at that, let's just say, 1 million valuation, get more customers, get a growth marketeer, start proving the revenue model, and then go and raise 500 grand plus when you can maybe command a 2, 3 million valuation. What do you think? I couldn't agree more. I always say, I always advise founders that not to be, well, to be sensible, but not to be too cagey with uh, with how much of the company they're giving up early on, if they're giving it up to the right investor. If you get a very good strategic angel or, um, or early stage investor on board, we can really help you with that growth marketing, with that uh, with that consumer knowledge or the target market knowledge. That's worth a lot more than you know holding on to an extra five percent of your business. So, and also in these times, given the situation we're in globally, I would say any capital that's coming your way, secure it and and get it transferred to your account so you can start executing on it rather than stretching out your capital raise because you don't know what's going to happen uh, as. As 2020 showed us, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So um, get it locked down and start and start building your dreams. Yeah, 100% agree. And the stage that she's at, you know, 150, 200 grand, you know, should work quite far for them. So they, you know, they should be able to prove out the business with that. Absolutely. They've managed to achieve quite a lot on, on quite little funding. So 
absolutely that that 150 200 will take them quite a long way and you know i think they've done they've been very sensible so far they probably continue to be so in the future and um it just makes sense for them to get going and for this to be in the hands of parents as quickly as possible totally agree um so yeah that leaves me just to say thank you so much really enjoyed your insight at the start and at the end and some great questions so thank you so much for joining us today veronica nick thank you for having me and have a great rest of your day So it's just me now, just to give you my final summary. Um, I thought that was really interesting in the stage that Marie is very early stage. Uh, I think that's great for our listeners to hear. Her confidence was infectious and I don't think it came across as arrogance. I think that's a fine line. and I think Marie is on the right side of the line. She's confident in herself as a founder and confident in the idea. I love ideas that come out of real life problems. So it's something Marie as a mother was facing and wanted to solve that problem. So really like all of those. As an angel, you know, you're making bets on very early stage pre-revenue a lot of the times, which is where we are now. So, you know, you're thinking longer term, you know, can I see the revenue lines making sense? Can I see Marie building a team to scale this to, as she says, millions of parents? It's a very scalable product. Um, obviously, it's it's a global product. Uh, I'm not sure on the scanning technology for foods around the world, but I'm sure that that's available. I think as Ver- Veronica and myself touched upon, the revenue line needs to be looked at um, if I if I was to think about investing, and I think my gut is actually to charge per download or or charge after a week's week's use. I don't believe that the deeper reports are enough of a pool, especially when they're getting the rest of the app for free. So that's something I'd really want to look at, um, and I'd I'd want her to to speak to and the the four hundred users now and get data from these people. So we're not guessing on whether the revenue line is important or not. Um, I think a lot of founders sometimes think that when they get scale on an app, you can then just make money from that whatever. And actually, as Veronica said, the the only guaranteed way of doing that is actually advertising. And I think the last thing that Marie needs to do is start advertising food brands and then almost monopolizing the app because that sort of defeats the object of of what it does. And I think, as we said, um, I I would advise her to raise a lot less money than she's trying to raise, probably at her, her valuation that I'm guessing. And make some changes, build out a quick team and actually just start pulling in some revenue and maybe testing that paper download um, because then you'll be able to command a much higher valuation uh, when you've actually proven out the revenue line. I'd also, as an angel, go away and, and look deeper at other competition. I'd, I'd be pretty convinced that there are meal planning apps out there for kids. I uh, could be very wrong, but that's that, that would probably be my first point of call as well to check that she really is alone in this market at the moment Um, because as I said I don't think the reports themselves um, are probably enough of a moat. So if you are a parent and want to check out Marie's product you can head over to minimealtimes.com and you can download the app from there so check that out and if you want to get in touch with Veronica um, she said head over to her LinkedIn so Veronica Capustina Um, and add her on LinkedIn and keep an eye on there. So um, when they're ready to release the fund, I'm sure she'll release the news on there. And as ever, if you want to check out my personal uh, startup playground, that is on horseplay.ventures. If you are an investor interested to speak to Marie, drop us a contact on there. And similarly, if you are a founder wanting to pitch on a future episode, again, send us your pitch deck through the Horseplay website. If you could share this, subscribe 
totally appreciate it. Um, I really appreciate you guys listening. Um, and if you can share it with just one person today that you think would really benefit or love the startup world, I really appreciate it.